Well, again, good morning. Um, this morning we're going to look at Psalm 67, which is one of my favorite psalms. Um, and it is, I think it's, it's, it's a great psalm, one of the best psalms to celebrate Thanksgiving. Um, the book of Psalm, we're going to read in a, in a second, but let me just uh, give a little bit of context. The book of Psalm is, is a unique book in the Bible. It's a collection of Hebrew prayers and hymns that teach us who God is and what he has done. But because they are hymns and prayers, they, uh, they give us language to speak back to God, to express our joy, our sorrows, our fears, our longings, etc. So uh, the Psalms are Hebrew poems, and two scholars, uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart, say that Hebrew, Hebrew poetry, by its very nature, was addressed to the mind, but through the heart. So they are instructive, but they need to be interpreted as poems. So, for example, they use metaphors to convey meaning. They also use other literary resources which might be unfamiliar to us. For example, back then, the Hebrews didn't emphasize things the way we do. We used bigger fonts, and we changed the color of the fonts that we're using. They couldn't do that, of course. So they emphasized things in a different way, as we will observe in Psalm 67. <coughs> Now, this psalm is super short, and it's very easy to memorize because it, it has repetition. And it has a clear structure that actually helps us to identify what's the, the climax or the, the, the heart of the psalm. It, it has what is called a concentric structure. Uh, so that, that was a common literary uh, resource um, in Hebrew uh, for the Hebrews. So the beginning and the end of the psalm they function as brackets or as bookends. You will observe that when we read it. They are related. In between, we have another set of brackets, verses 3 and 5, which are actually identical. And in between, we find verse 4, which is the focus or the climax of the psalm. So let me invite you to please stand and let's, let's read uh, God's word. <coughs> May God be gracious to us and bless us, and may his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Lord, as we meditate um, in your word this morning, I pray that your spirit might give us eyes to see. Give us receptive hearts to your word and draw us closer to your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please take your seat. As, as I mentioned a few moments ago, the Psalms of the Bibles have an instructive purpose. So they are songs written by different people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And these are God-given songs for the people of Israel in the Old Testament and also for us. So they remind us of past events. They reveal who God is. They shape our dreams. They teach us how to pray. And as we will observe in Psalm 67, 
they also help us to reinterpret our lives, reinterpret, reorient our lives. And we get a clue to what probably was the original context of Psalm, of Psalm 67 in verse 6. It says, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. So if you think about it, it's talking about produce, right? The harvest. So this psalm was probably a prayer of thanksgiving offered by the people of Israel after a successful harvest, marking the end of a cycle, of course, and the beginning of a new cycle. So it is not surprising that harvest was a time to stop and look back and give thanks and celebrate, as the psalm does, but it was also a time to look forward and pray for God's blessing, as we will see as well in the psalm. Now, for many of us, Thanksgiving is a similar time, a similar event. We stop, we look back, we give thanks for the blessing received through the year. We celebrate what has been accomplished. But we also look forward to the upcoming year and pray for God's blessing. So what I would like for us to do this morning is just to consider how this psalm looks back, then how it looks forward, and finally, how it helps us to reorient our present. How it looks back, how it looks forward, and how it helps us to reorient our present. So first, how it looks back. Verses 1 and 2, as well as verses 6 and 7, form the outer brackets of this psalm. And as you will qu quickly notice, the idea of blessing is repeat several times. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. So a commentary says that God's face shining on us is, is like saying God smiling upon us with approval. God smiling on us. Now verse 6 and 7, again, blessing. God our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. God's blessing is a prayer but it's also an affirmation. It's a desire, but it's something that they already have. Now, in this day and age, sometimes it's hard to know what <laughs> blessing or to be blessed means. Somebody sneezes, and we say, God bless you, or just bless you. We say goodbye with the word blessings. Um, somebody gets a great deal on Black Friday, and we say, what a blessing. Uh, but perhaps it's more puzzling how it is used on social media. Hashtag bless. Now, if you're not familiar with social media, I'm, I'm not familiar at all with social media. I'm terrible. But hashtag is the old pound symbol with a word attached to it. So it functions as a comment or as a label on something. So hashtag bless can be used, for example, when you post a picture of yourself enjoying something that you want everybody else to see and to envy. But to avoid looking to presumptions, you add hashtag bless. Right Now, the idea of blessing here in the Psalms has a super rich biblical historical uh, background that prevents us from interpreting just in any way we would like to, or even in limiting the idea of blessing just to the harvest. The author of Psalms is actually looking to the story of the Old Testament when he speaks of blessing. Now, how do we know that? Well, he's actually quoting from one particular passage, the book of Numbers, chapter 6, where the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless 
the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So God instructed the priest to pronounce God's blessing upon his people. Now, to understand how shocking this is, we might need to go all the way back to the first 12 chapters of the Bible and then trace the idea of blessing. That would be a great exercise. But since our time is limited here this morning, I would like to share a summary with four key ideas that we find in these first chapters of the Bible related to God's blessing. So here, here they go, four, four quick ideas. First, God's blessing is something that human beings enjoy in the Garden of Eden. When God created Adam and Eve, the Bible says that he blessed them. They enjoy God's approval and blessing. Adam and Eve enjoy God's relationship. They didn't need to fear or hide from him. They live under his rule, and in him they had everything they needed. They live under God's blessing, and it was paradise. Second, we lost God's approval and blessing. After Adam and Eve decided to rebel against their creator and king, the result was not blessing, but curse. They experienced alienation from God and alienation from each other and the rest of creation. They experienced guilt and shame. Death entered the world. This part of the story begins in Genesis chapter 3, but then it keeps going. It unfolds in the following chapters that describe what life is like under the reality of sin. And it is painful and it is sad. After being expelled from the Garden of Eden, the next story in the Bible is what? Is Cain, Adam and Eve's son, killing his brother Abel out of jealousy. Then we read about Lamech, a man who boasted about being merciless and violent. And if you keep reading, you'll find that it just keeps increasing, the wickedness over the whole earth. Then God set a flood that slowed it down. But after that, wickedness again. It comes back. So by the end of the first chapter of Genesis in chapter 11, we find God's judgment upon alienated people being scattered over the face of the earth. So it's not a hopeful picture. It is the consequence of man's rebellion, not blessing, but curse. Not approval, but judgment. But the story doesn't end there. God's blessing is something that we enjoy, then it's something that we lost, but then surprisingly, it is something that God grants through a promise. And this is the third key idea about blessing. In Genesis chapter 12, we find the story of a man named Abram, later called Abraham. And he lived just like everybody else, seeking to be blessed by false gods, idols. But because of God's grace, God chose this man to make a covenant with him to bless him. God told Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God promised Abraham his blessing. Somehow God was going to reverse, reverse the mess created by Adam 
so that Abraham will enjoy a new land where he and his descendants could live in peace under God's rule and enjoy God's blessing upon them again. And it is because of that promise that Aaron could pronounce God's blessing upon God's people in Numbers chapter 6. And it is because of that promise that the people who sang Psalm 67 many years later could experience and, and expect God's blessing. Not because they deserve it, but because God had made a covenant with Abraham to bless him and his descendants. And finally, we learned that the blessing promised to Abraham was so that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. So God chose one particular man and his descendants not to forget about the other nations, but for the sake of them. Richard Buckham explains that Abraham was singled out precisely so that the blessing may come to all the nations, to all those 70 nations God scattered over the face of the whole earth in Genesis chapter 11. So Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. That's the fourth idea. Now, this is how the psalm is looking back. or What the psalmist has in mind when he talks about God's blessing. Now, next time you use hashtag bless, you know the, the background, the Old Testament background uh, for the true meaning of blessing. But now, how does it look forward? And as we just mentioned, God's intervention, intervention I'm sorry, in making a covenant with Abraham to bless him is it's just utterly surprising. The only possible explanation is God's grace. But perhaps you are wondering, why? What's the big deal with that promise made to Abraham? It just seems like a promise for a land or something like that. What's the big deal about that promise? Well, we probably can fully understand what that promise means if we don't look forward to its fulfillment. Therefore, <coughs> that's exactly what the psalm does, uh, but giving us a, vi a vision, pointing us forward in verse 4, the climax of the poem. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. Now, here we don't read about the nations being scattered or killing each other, alienated from God. We read about the nations being glad and singing for joy because the Lord reigns. How meaningful it is in the midst of all the conflict that is going on um, in Eastern Europe and in the Middle East to hear this word, to hear this picture of the, the eschatological picture of the nations rejoicing and being in peace because the Lord reigns. And this is the hope at the center of the Old Testament story. It is the idea of living again under God's blessing and enjoying God's rule because we were created to live under his rule and dominion and to love him as our king. Under God's rule, people are safe because he is the king that protects them. Under his rule, people have everything because he is the king that provides for them. Under his rule, there is joy and wholeness or shalom. Under his rule, there is justice and peace and everything is made right. Under his rule, his people enjoy satisfaction because he is the king that smiles over them. Under his rule, the curse of sin is reversed. 
And the outcome of living again under God's rule is actually worship. That's the natural outcome. Explosive, joyful worship. Delight in God. As you can see in verse 7, it is enclosed by the refrain, May the people praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. His salvation known in all the earth and the nations rejoicing in him is ultimately for his glory, to the praise of his name. So the worship of God is the ultimate purpose of his salvation being known to the ends of the earth. But there is a problem. Under his rule, there can be no rebellion. That is why Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden. So to be more specific, the hope of the Old Testament was that God will one day send someone, a Savior, to deal with the problem of sin around them and inside their hearts and establish his reign on earth so that the nations will be glad and sing for joy before their creator and their king. So in a nutshell, what the people needed to hear were the good news of God's reign coming back to earth, coming to them. And knowing our enemies won't reign, death won't reign, sickness won't reign, the evil in our hearts won't reign, but God will reign. Those were the news that they were expecting. Psalm 67 is looking forward with expectation to the fulfillment of this hope. But the question is, was it a false hope? Were they dreaming in vain? It was not. Because years later, God will actually send his son to fulfill the covenant made with Abraham. Jesus is Abraham's descendant in whom the promise of blessing is fulfilled. It is in him that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, we read that Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, saying, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus came and he revealed what God's kingdom is like. He gave us a preview of a preview, I'm sorry, of the world to come. Through his words and his miracles, we learn that in God's kingdom, neither sin nor sickness or evil spirits or death or sorrow or unforgiveness reigns. When his kingdom is fully revealed, all these things will be wiped away completely. But Jesus not only came to reveal and give us a preview. A preview. I'm sorry, a preview. I don't know why I'm saying a preview. A preview. He also came to establish God's kingdom. Through his death and resurrection, he accomplished our redemption and is making all things new. So the penalty of sin has been paid. Death has been defeated. Satan can no longer accuse us. And we can now enjoy God's smile on us. So the goal of history that the Old Testament foresaw has actually entered into the middle of the story. And one day it will be fully displayed. Then sin and its consequences be no more. So like the psalmist, we can look forward to this glorious future, but with a different perspective because the end or the goal of history has already arrived and it's just unfolding. Now lastly, 
how does the sound help us to reorient our lives? In other words, how does it help us to live in the present time? As we have seen in Psalm 67, this is like a summary of the history of the world. It points us back to creation. It shows us what went wrong. But it also points forward to the end of times and how God has provided a solution through Jesus. And through Jesus. And we live in between. But to be more specific, we live in between or in the middle of the last chapter. So what the psalmist saw as a future hope, we are actually experiencing already as an unfolding reality because we live in between Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' return. So the question for us is, how should this inform and reorient the way we live today? I'm going to highlight three things to close the sermon. First, um, the most urgent thing every one of us and everyone on the planet needs to hear is that this is the time to be reconciled with the king. We are in between the times. Well, this is the time to be reconciled with the, with the king. The time to repent and believe is today. Jesus urged our response when proclaiming the good news, saying, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It is through repentance and faith that we can experience his forgiveness and his blessing. The question is not whether you would like to have a king or not. As Bob Dylan once said, you're going to have to serve somebody. So we have to decide between living for another story, perhaps another story that we learn in school or in, in television, or believing the story that the Bible presents to us as the true story of the world, and therefore bow before the king that came to give his life for us. Any other king will enslave you and disappoint you, whether that is your career, the admiration of others, or your personal goals. Jesus is the only king that he doesn't need anything from us. And he came to serve and to die for us. Repentance for trying to be our own king and faith in Jesus is the way we come into the kingdom and is also the way we learn to follow him. So the first thing of how this psalm should instruct us is by knowing that the time to repent and believe is today. Second, it teaches us to keep a perspective between the times when celebrating the harvest. And what do I mean by that? As I mentioned before, Psalm 67 was probably sung to celebrate a successful harvest. So what a blessing. Certainly a time to rejoice and, and be thankful. Can you imagine the satisfaction of a, a whole year of hard work and, and now having that uh, outcome that guarantees provision for the coming months. So it certainly was a time to celebrate. But as exciting as the harvest was, the psalmist doesn't make that blessing the ultimate source of hope and joy. The blessing of the harvest is celebrated in the context of a larger, larger blessing, the blessing of enjoying God's favor. To celebrate the harvest with a perspective between the times means that our ultimate joy comes from knowing that God smiles on us 
not because we deserve it, but because of Jesus. And only if you know that you have God's love and approval, you can enjoy early things for what they really are. Otherwise, everything will disappoint you. Everything will eventually become tasteless. In the same way, only then can we face failures and hard times without being destroyed. Because sometimes the harvest is not that great. Sometimes the outcome is not as expected. But if we rest in knowing that we have God's smile on us, we know that no matter how hard a season might be, if Jesus is your king, you can't lose God's blessing and God's approval. Nothing can separate you from his love, and nothing can frustrate God's plans for you. So the psalm gives us this perspective between the times for good harvest, but also for bad harvest. And lastly, the psalm teaches us to keep a perspective between the times as we plan ahead or as we look ahead for the next cycle. And what do I mean by that? Well, in addition to celebrating the harvest, Psalm 67 also asks for God's blessing for the upcoming cycle. But the psalmist looking to the future or his hope for the future is not just thinking on next year or even on the next five years. His ultimate hope is seeing God's kingdom coming to earth and the nations rejoicing in worshiping him. He has a far greater longer-term goal. This psalmist should reorient our lives by teaching us to live for something much bigger than our personal or family goals, something bigger than buying a house, something bigger than having a good career or finishing a degree or even retirement. It should reorient our whole life towards God's plan being unfolded, and that is, it should reorient our lives towards God's mission. As I mentioned before, God chose Abraham not to forget about the other nations, but for the sake of the other nations. And when you look at this psalm, you realize that according to God's plan, his salvation will be made known on all the earth. He is on the work. He is gathering a people from all the nations to worship him. And in this mission, we have a very significant role to play now between the times when, when we live. We have a mission. Scholar Christopher Wright says that mission means inviting all the peoples of the earth to hear the music of God's future and dance to it today. Our mission is nothing less or more than participating with God in this grand story until he brings it to its guaranteed climax. So the question is, if this psalm is actually reorienting our lives, how? How are we living for God's greatest story? Not just what plans we have for next year or for the next summer. How are we living for God's greatest story? How are you investing in it? To know how to live between the times means living for that greatest story that we find in Psalm 67. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you will help us to find our greatest joy in knowing your son and to follow him in extending your blessing to the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.